1: underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. On today's special 2021 edition of GIST Healthcare Daily, Chaz Rhodes and Lisa Belomovich, co-founders of GIST Healthcare, join me to talk about what healthcare trends they're watching for this year. It's Monday, January 11th, and I'm Alex Olgan with GIST Healthcare Daily, where you get the headlines and health business and policy news in under 10 minutes. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review. It helps other listeners find the show. We're only 11 days into 2021, and it's already been a tough year. The deadly riot at the capital, and the country has now lost more than 373,000 people to the coronavirus and continues to hit new records for cases, hospitalizations and deaths. A bright spot in 2021 so far, the country is rolling out multiple COVID vaccines. With new leadership and a greater focus on vaccine distribution, there's reason to be optimistic about getting the pandemic under control this year. One thing's for sure: healthcare will still be the major focus for 2021. For our first conversation of the new year, Just Healthcare co-founders Chaz Rhodes and Lisa Belamovich join me to talk about trends they're watching as the year unfolds.
0: Hey,
2: Alex! Happy New Year.
1: Good morning. Good to be back together. Obviously, the focus in 2021, at least in the near term, will be COVID and the vaccine rollout, which to date has been slow and chaotic. What do you think will be the biggest challenge for the ongoing distribution of COVID vaccines?
2: The real question that we're going to be watching for is, do we have a supply problem or do we have a demand problem? In the near term, what's pretty clear is that we're having a challenge with just the distribution, the last mile of distribution. And uh, and getting the vaccine into arms. I think one thing that we've learned very quickly uh, is that uh, you know, vaccines aren't the solution, vaccinations are the solution and getting people vaccinated is proving to be a much more difficult challenge than I think anybody had probably anticipated or that we had prepared for. And I think, so right now, a lot of the discussion is about supply um, my guess is, and, and again, I think we'll find out pretty quickly whether this is true, that what the real problem we're going to have is one of demand, not supply. I think uh, it's possible that it's you know, at some point in the, uh, in the spring, we're going to find ourselves swimming in vaccine, and uh, we'll have gotten vaccinated all of the easy-to-vaccinate groups, and it's going to be a challenge to get folks out and getting the vaccine, you know, overcoming this vaccine hesitancy problem. Um, figuring out how to get into uh, the larger uh, p- pockets of the population uh, once you get past, you know, healthcare workers, first responders, nursing home residents, and so forth. I think that's going to be a real challenge and probably absorb a lot of time and attention.
0: It's proving very complex to come up with these multi-layered algorithms in every state, you know, to triage amongst different groups in the population you know, once you get past healthcare workers, I think we're going to have a goal very quickly of getting it in as many arms as we possibly can. And with a new administration coming in, I would expect more top-down leadership uh, to try and make the vaccine rollout go more smoothly. You know, it's interesting when you talk to doctors, Uh, who trained back in the 60s, many of whom served in the public health corps. They themselves were vaccinated as part of the large polio vaccine rollouts in the 50s. Uh, You're starting to hear wistfulness uh, for the you know, massive public health efforts that we had that were managed at a federal level to quickly vaccinate the population, Uh, you know, I don't think we're going to go back there. uh, But, you know, somewhere in the middle uh, will likely be the right solution to make this go much more quickly and get the levels of uptake that we need in order to really get the country to immunity.
1: One thing that I've been thinking about is just how much stress we're putting hospitals under. As they're treating COVID patients, in some cases more than they even have capacity for, we're asking them to handle vaccine distribution. Now, I understand that it needs to go to healthcare workers first, but it just seems like everything is being dumped on hospitals.
2: We've talked for a long time about hospitals ending up holding the bag for a lot of the challenges that we have as a country, whether that's you know delivering uncompensated care to people who don't have insurance or uh, you know, whatever the case may be. This is another example of an unfunded mandate for hospitals where because we haven't invested in public health, we've just put this huge burden on hospitals. And now, you know, some states are beginning to 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 blame hospitals for how slow it's going. So you're seeing, you know, talk of of big monetary penalties and, you know, maybe withdrawing vaccines from hospitals that aren't vaccinating fast enough. I think it's a pretty difficult burden to put on hospitals, particularly at a time when we're at a record number of COVID-related hospitalizations and staff are completely burnt out.
0: It's a double-edged sword from a patient relationship perspective as well. Uh, But are there concerns around prioritizing those with whom you already have a business relationship or does it create access challenges for, you know, folks who aren't connected to primary care for whatever reason? Uh, You know, so health systems are being left to uh, to deal with those types of decisions and challenges as well. Lisa,
1: you mentioned a wistfulness for more federal leadership on vaccine distribution and more public health leadership. We have an incoming Biden administration in a little more than a week. How do you think the administration will handle the health crisis?
0: Yeah, I think very early on we'll see much more proactive communication and efforts coming from the Biden administration would not be shocked at all if he signs a national mask mandate on day one. Uh, you know, So a much more proactive public health response. I think we're also going to see a different kind of hands-on leader taking control of working with hospitals and health systems, managing the COVID response and managing uh, the vaccine rollout. I mean, Chaz, you had a chance to work with Jeff Zients years ago. Uh, you know, he's someone who is a true operational leader at heart. What's your uh, what's your read on how he's going to uh, lead as the country's COVID czar?
2: I did work for uh, Jeff Science back at the uh, advisory board company in the late 90s. Jeff is a get stuff done guy. This is the guy that they brought in in the Obama administration when healthcare.gov was completely not working, and he got the trains running on time, and he got everything back on the uh, on the rails and got it working. And I think Jeff is, uh, you know, coming in with a team of folks behind him. It's not just Jeff who are going to be laser focused on making sure that all of these kinks get ironed out and that uh, all of the details get get paid attention to
1: switching gears to the incoming administration's policy agenda. During the campaign, Biden had expressed support for a public option plan or Medicare at 60. Now that the Georgia Senate races are over and Democrats hold a narrow majority in Congress, what types of health care reform or legislation are you expecting?
2: I am not holding my breath for sweeping health care reforms in the next Congress or in the next two years of the Biden administration. I think most of the legislative focus is gonna be on stimulus and relief uh, around COVID, uh, making sure that we're getting money to states and and municipalities to uh, fund the COVID response, making sure that we're getting money to small businesses and to households uh, to stabilize the economy. I think that's gonna absorb most of the legislative attention uh, of the first half of this year. This is a team that's very focused on, stabilizing the ACA, making sure that the ACA is bolstered. So you may see some activity around uh, increasing subsidies or closing the Medicaid gap so that you can sort of fill that hole between Medicaid eligibility and people who can get subsidized care on the Obamacare exchanges. But I would not expect you know, big new coverage expansion activities. I'm, I, public option is almost certainly not gonna happen because I don't think you can do that with a simple majority uh, in the Senate. For the same reason, I don't think Medicare at 60 or, or any kind of a Medicare expansion would happen. And the other thing to bear in mind in this new Congress is it's a pretty purple group of people. So if to get anything through, uh, the, I think the way to think about it is you've got to craft legislation that both Joe Manchin and AOC can agree on. It's a pretty uh, short bipartisan list.
0: The most immediate uh, near-term impact of 50-50 in the Senate uh, is likely that Joe Biden's cabinet appointees will have a much easier time making it through the confirmation process. And I think for healthcare, uh, that means that Javier Becerra, who is in line to be our new HHS secretary, uh, may not face as much pushback as would have been previously expected.
1: One of the biggest changes the pandemic has caused has been access to virtual care and home health care. People are now able to get care in all kinds of different ways than they were able to before. Most expect that to continue. The question is, do you think health systems, hospitals and
0: traditional providers will be the ones to meet that demand? The demand will be there. I think it's an open question as to who long term will meet that demand Uh, in the pandemic doctors and health systems were the ones to step up very quickly and keep consumers connected uh, via virtual visits. Across the course of this year, though, we've seen the level of telemedicine at most health systems fall off pretty dramatically. Uh, And I am concerned thinking from the perspective of a health system that we're seeing some backsliding and doctors not being as engaged in thinking through a long-term sustainable telemedicine solution. There's a lot of other players in the industry, health plans, technology disruptors, retailers, uh, who are poised to step in and provide those services. Uh, So one of the things we're watching across 2021 is to see who will win that land grab for the long-term virtual care relationship with patients.
2: One of the big lasting effects of, of, uh, of the COVID pandemic is that is that virtual care is uh, gonna be a big part of care delivery moving forward. I think there's still this, this question looming out there in, among consumers about what do I use it for? I mean, this is pretty new for most people, the ability to get virtual care. Uh, and so, uh, there's an education process that has to happen and, uh, you have to get consumers to the, to the point where they understand what things, you know, are fine to deal, you know, to do a video visit. I need to check in with my doc about my blood pressure and maybe get my medication tweaked versus which of the things that I actually need to go in, uh, and do an in-person visit. And I think that education process is going to be driven by traditional providers Uh, who have an incentive to get more in-person visits, and it's also going to be driven by some of the disruptors that Lisa talked about, who have an incentive, particularly the health plans, to keep people out of uh, high-cost settings. And so there's going to be a a battle for hearts and minds, if you will, among consumers to sort of shape the future of, of, uh, of telemedicine.
1: Talking about the land grab, we've heard some announcements of mergers and acquisitions among payers and traditional health systems. Do you expect the pace of these deals to continue?
0: As we talk with health systems around the country, uh, we've been surprised around how quickly consolidation activity has picked up. Uh, I think there's a lot of systems who look at what they've been through across the past year and think, wow, I'm staring down a tough future environment. If I'm ever going to have to weather another shock to the system, like what we experienced, uh, I need to be bigger, have more resources behind me. Uh, So that's an obvious motivation. You know, the other thing that we saw across uh, 2020, however, was that not all of the mergers that get announced and maybe even look good on paper, uh, are actually able to come to fruition. And we saw two very high profile mergers with Advocate Aurora and Michigan-based Beaumont uh, disintegrate, as well as at the end of the year, Intermountain and Sanford decide not to move forward. Uh, so for any system that is thinking about a combination, you know, there needs to be a really renewed focus on what value does this bring to us as an organization, but also by combining with another system, how does it make healthcare better for the consumers in my market? What value does it deliver to them?
2: I think the other thing that will that may temper uh, the move to consolidation is the new administration. I think you know uh, the new HHS secretary Becerra comes in with a track record. Uh, as we've all uh, learned in, from California uh, and dealing with uh, Sutter Health and a big antitrust case there, I don't know how much impact he's going to directly have on the antitrust environment from where he sits, but, um, but surely there will be some more scrutiny around, uh, around consolidation. I, I think that's not just in healthcare. I think that's generally, I think you'll see the tech companies be a big focus uh, uh, for antitrust uh, activity as well.
1: One question both insurers and providers are trying to figure out is what patient volumes will be like this year. Will we be living in a 90% healthcare economy where demand never fully returns or do you think with more accessible care from more players in the market we could be living in the roaring 20s for healthcare?
2: Yeah, I think this is the big open question and I don't think you know, I think I'd be I'd be kidding you if I said I knew what the answer was or I have a strong conviction one way or another. I you know, I think the um The economy is going to be depressed for a while. You know, we're going to be at persistently high unemployment for some period of time. Uh, That obviously changes all sorts of things in terms of demand patterns. People consume less healthcare; They can afford less. Employers want to pay for less and so forth. But the recovery could be pretty fast. Many economists think that the economy is going to come roaring back once the vaccine gets fully distributed or at least mostly distributed. Uh, and there could be a lot of, of, uh, of economic activity. I do think the roaring 20s is a real possibility. And then w- what we just have to think about is if there's a lot more demand for, you know, pent up demand for healthcare services, um, where does that demand go and, and who captures that, uh, that growth? I think that will be the open question.
1: And Lisa, we've seen a sustained drop in emergency department volumes, and some say that's actually the right sizing of care that we've needed for a really long time. Do you think that will play into how we see utilization return?
0: Absolutely. You know, One of the silver linings of the pandemic is that it has given us an unprecedented opportunity to take a data-driven look at what happens when people do not receive care for a whole host of conditions. Obviously, in some cases, you know, all of the things that hospitals experienced uh, across this year were the heart attacks, were the strokes. There are patients who needed to receive care and didn't. But there's a lot of care that perhaps, you know, if I didn't treat that back pain, maybe it just went away. Or, you know, I didn't go to the ED for that sore throat uh, and it turned out fine. Uh, So it will allow us to really understand when watching and waiting is okay. And I think it may provide an opportunity for consumers to rethink where and when they go to a high acuity service like the emergency room. And Alex, you're 100% right. If the 10% of care that is ultimately lost from emergency rooms is low acuity stuff that could be managed via telemedicine or urgent care then that is a good thing for the system may not be a good thing for health systems bottom lines but it will provide a big motivation to rethink how the system works so that uh, we're able to capture these changes and use them uh, to generate more sustainability Final thoughts
1: from each of you. Do you think we'll have a chance in twenty twenty one for hospitals, providers, and the healthcare system at a large scale to pull up and evaluate how the pandemic was handled and how to change care going forward? Big picture, or do you think that's farther in the future? As most of the energy this year will be spent trying to get the pandemic under control.
2: I think it's always hard to to really focus on lessons learned. I mean, everybody will try to do that, um, but it's going to be pretty busy for quite some time and everybody's going to be very focused on the day to day. That's the, the trap is that um, it's very hard to learn the lessons of history because it keeps happening. Right. Sort of think back to the beginning of 2020, you know, nobody in their, you know, a year ahead forecasting was saying, Hey, there's going to be a big pandemic and it's going to completely turn the entire world on its head. Um, we just don't know what's going to happen in the future. And I think um, to a certain extent, uh, health systems, hospitals, doctors, others in healthcare, you know, really are just going to have to sort of play it as it lays um, as uh, as events continue to unfold?
0: There were two big sets of issues that the pandemic revealed. Health disparities, uh, both income and racially based, and it showed us just how weak and fragmented our public health infrastructure uh, really is when it's put to the test. Uh, In both cases, you know, health systems have really started to think about, you know, what we need to learn from this, what the long-term solutions would be. I sure hope That as things return to normal across the course of this year, uh, those things are all put on the back burner as we go back to thinking about growth and volume and care transformation and that providers and others are able to take the time to make sure that we take what we've learned and use it to make healthcare a better, more accessible uh, system for everyone.
1: Chaz and Lisa, thank you so much for joining me for our first conversation of 2021. For more of their thoughts on what healthcare trends lie ahead for the year, check out our newsletter, The Weekly Gist. You can read it and subscribe for executive level insights on healthcare news each week on gisthealthcare.com. Thanks for listening to GIST Healthcare Daily. I'm Alex Olkin. You can check out more insights on healthcare business and policy news on GISTHealthcare.com. GIST Healthcare Daily is an independent production of Just Healthcare.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well...